Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm James Carey. You'll be hearing Dave Cohen's voice in a minute. We're back with Danny Peake. We spoke to him in episode 187. That was part one of the interview. And this is part two, where we finally get to talk about uh, Big Top and also his Sky Comedy Code 404. But we resume at a point in Danny's career where he's really riding high. Presumably round about now you're starting to, uh, and you're, you're getting interested and there's a, a bit of excitement because you've got, you've got your first audience sitcom uh, uh, mm. It's about to happen after the success of I, I Was Stupid, although, uh, <laughs> as you say, I mean, it was, you know, it won, won awards and things. But uh, so here we go. You must have been so excited. Yeah, I could do no wrong. Everything that I touched turns to gold. <laughs> go on. I know what you're about so, to say. So, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to talk about Big Top, um, which yeah. was uh, a BBC One mainstream studio sitcom mm-hmm. starring Tony Robinson of Blackadder. You know, it's my, like Tony I mean, Robinson from Blackadder and um, Reef Maddock from Heidi High, which is oh. another of my uh, yeah. all-time favourites. I don't know why Heidi High isn't like considered one of the pantheon more than it, it is. But anyway, yeah, the yeah, comedy heroes. Yeah. So, what it. sort of year is this? This will be two thousand and nine. Okay. Right. So, how did that show come about, and and what did you learn from it? Um, okay, it came about. Well, I've been working. Uh, I've been writing studio audience sitcoms, um, mm. namely My Hero and Two Pints. Uh, I think just those two up until that point. And I I mean, well, for one thing, I really, really wanted to write a studio audience, BBC family pre-watershed comedy. Of course I did. Who doesn't? Yeah. And you probably still do. And I still do. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and it is the th- it is the thing ever since Blackadder or whatever, that it was the thing that I wanted to do. I never particularly aspired to be a s- sketch writer. You know, I never thought, oh, I want to be a movie director. I wanted to write studio audience sitcoms for BBC One. And then um, we got the, just got the chance. I think, uh, I, as I said, I think I'd written on a couple of shows that were successful. And so it was, t- it was time to give me a go, I guess. So I built the story up from the ground. It isn't one that was kind of brought to me. Oh, we want a, sh- a show about a sitcom. Or we want a vehicle for Amanda Holden, who was the central um, actor in it. We really did start with a blank piece of paper. And I wanted to do something so my aspiration was to write something that was a Perry and Croft sitcom, basically. I wanted to write Dad's Army. Mm. I wanted to write Heidi High. I wanted to do something that was, it was a, an ensemble, a funny, big, warm ensemble comedy with strong characters, uh, but a kind of family vibe to it. Yeah. Um, but update it in the sense of just having tons of, just throw tons of jokes at it and have, it, have, the, have the joke rate of something like The Simpsons or Arrested Development, yeah. but in that kind of warm and yeah. enjoyable uh, Dad's Army world. Yeah. So well, I can't remember the exact process, but I know we, we, we wrote, uh, wrote a pilot script for the BBC, which they really liked. They um, cast it with, with the cast who were, were finally in it on TV. And we did a kind of rehearsed read through at the BBC. Um, you know, the old, people stand there with scripts in their hands and walk yeah. it through. Um, and it was brilliant. Honestly, we blew the roof off. It was so, it was so good. Yeah. Everyone told me how great it was. It was the funniest rehearsed read through that anyone had ever seen. And um, I think the series was commissioned on the spot of it, you know, the next day. Uh, went off, wrote it. The writing process was terrific fun. I was full of confidence. Best thing yeah. I'd ever written by miles, you know. And it was living up to all those standards that I'd set for me. I thought it had really, really clear characters. 
a really clear dynamics between all of the characters, different dynamics between each, each, put any two of them in a room and you would get a different dynamic and it would be funny in its own way. It's loads of jokes. It had, you know, every now and then when there's not much going on in the news, you, it's announced that someone's discovered the formula for the, the perfect sitcom. Okay. You know, you read those stories and it's like, has this number no, of characters. It? It's got a lot of news these days, so you don't get those stories very often No, but this, it has, I have seen it once or twice. Maybe, maybe that's why there hasn't been any, you know, any brand new studio sitcom on. Uh, yeah. Because there's been too much news and uh, that journalist hasn't written that article. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Probably is. Yeah. Anyway, it, it, my show totally conforms. It, it, it ticks every box. It had because everything. Because it was about, uh, we've not even said this yet, for anyone who's forgotten the show, and I daily hope everybody has forgotten the show. <laughs> it was, the reason it was called Big Top is because it was about a circus. It was set in a small family-run traveling circus. So it's about family, it's about an actual family, but they also all work together and they all live together in this very distinctive environment of um, characters basically living in some caravans and every night they put on a, a show so the stakes are very high because every night they put on a dangerous show so it was all it was all working pretty well I, I thought and we had uh, we had the read through of the series um, and again went just went really really well loads of laughs really good and then and then the wheels uh, came off and then it was it became then it was voted the fourth, it was voted the fourth worst television show of 2009 in an internet poll. Wow, there were three three worse than that. That's, that's number, number one in the charts was um, Derek Akora's live Channel 5 seance to contact the uh, recently departed spirit of Michael Jackson. Okay. <laughs> Apparently that was worse than Big Top, but not many other shows. That sounds, that sounds brilliant. It does actually, doesn't uh, it? <laughs> yes, that's right. And probably very heavily scripted. Um, but, but at what point, I mean, you said you, you've, you've cut to the end there very quickly and said, I have, haven't I? Almost as if something but, traumatic uh, happened in the middle. At what, at what point did you think that, you know, so in good faith, you'll think, and, and, and Paul Mayhew Archer, our mutual friend, as it were, has yes. said very similar things about chalk. And we spoke mm. to Stephen Moffat about that. Stephen Moffat said that. Yeah. yeah. And we also, he also says that about Johnny Vaughan's sitcom called Horrible, where yeah. he said in the read throughs, people were absolutely picking themselves up on the floor laughing. It just felt like the funniest thing. So at what mm. point did you go, oh, hang on, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, or this is what I thought it was going to be, but this is not what, where people are at the moment. Where, where did you start to smell I, a rat? I'd say what, I can pinpoint the second actually. So the, <laughs> The first, when the first studio recording took place, I was, I was not there. The reason I was not there is because my daughter had the, um, the bad manners to be born that week. Ugh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and in Manchester as well, to make things worse. And this, the show was in London. So I, I wasn't there. I wasn't there for the first recording. Um, but obviously I was told, well, we'll give you a, a call and let you know how it went. <laughs> And so, and the night wore on and I was thought, this phone call seems to be later and later in coming. Uh, and the phone call came and I said, how did it go? And the producer of the show said to me, it went well. But there was a, there was a big gap between the word went and the word well. So the conversation oh. was, how did it go? It went well. <laughs> and, and that in my memory, that is where the demarcation line is between the, the before times and yes. the after times. It, it went full stop. Well, <laughs> it was well here's combat. what didn't go. Here's what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did. I went to the other recordings, and actually, it was it was it was fine. I mean, 
you know, well, the audience did respond to it. It did go down well in the studio, but it, it was not one of those stories that I've heard very often yeah. about failed shows where the, the audience on the night loved it and everybody yeah, yeah. was 100% convinced it was going to be a success until it went out on TV. That wasn't the case. I think I, I already knew that something was amiss right. before then. And I mean, you, you're going to ask me quite rightly, so what, what did go wrong and what lessons did I learn from it? And I, I kind of wish I had some clear yeah. answers to that. But part of me I, just thinks it was, it's just second law of thermodynamics, you know? It's just things, it's easier for things to go wrong yeah. than it is for them to go right. One, one difference um, that, that very, very much happened a few years before that, um, which was, um, it sounds like you didn't do a, a pilot's effort. You didn't record a pilot. We did not. And I wish we, I think maybe things would have been different if we had, maybe. Because it's it's one thing to go from a read through, um, a, a read through, a table read through, whatever, to a non-audience show, I think. Yes. Um, because there is less, there's less stuff in the way. But to go from a read through to a live reconstruction you know like the, the one a one act play in a theater effectively uh for opening night which is also you know opening night is also the finished uh product that's right and, and i think yeah. um that that i wonder if that's also why one of the reasons why sitcoms i mean and it's just it is a chicken and egg thing as well all sitcoms are too audience sitcoms are too expensive to make so it's cheaper to if you're going to make it, don't make a pilot. But maybe in not making a pilot, you are mm. really you yeah. know, making it difficult for yourself. That's mm. right. I mean, I, actually, I'd like to backtrack a little bit because I'm aware that I think what I just said could be read as my saying, well, it's not my fault because I wrote this brilliant show oh, yeah. and then they just made it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I don't think look... people... That's not what it sounded like. It sounded like no. that the, the planets aligned and yet somehow the magic didn't turn up. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think one thing that I perhaps learned is that it's not, as a sitcom writer, it's not your job to write a funny script. It's, it's your job to write a funny TV show. And although those two things are very closely related oh. to each other, they're not quite the same thing, you know? Yeah. And if it's funny on, on the page, well, that's fine. But only, what, 100, 200 people at most are actually going to read that. Yeah. And if they have a nice time, that's that's fine. But... I don't, I, the fact is I didn't write a funny TV show. And I think there are probably all kinds of reasons for that. The one that I can put my finger on, the one I kind of like to point to, is that I think I made a pretty rookie mistake in writing an ensemble that was centered on one character, which was Amanda Holden's character in the middle of it, yeah. who was not a funny character. Sure. And that's no reflection on her. She did, I think, you know, I think she did a really good job of it. I just, she was underserved because um, her job as a character was kind of to roll her eyes and say, oh, you guys, to yeah. all the, the crazy, literally the crazy clowns that she was surrounded by. Jason Bateman is the least funny character in Arrested Development. Correct. And he's holding it all together. You could say the same with Seinfeld. You know, he is the least funny of the four. Yeah. So yeah. in a way, I, I, I don't think that's, for me, I sus I wonder if it's more of a question of, 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 of public taste and what people actually wanted, and it feels mm -hmm. like they were commissioning what they thought people wanted, 
and you yeah. delivered it, but actually taste had changed to the point where people were thinking, what, what is this? This, this it, doesn't feel... Maybe. Do you know what? There might be an element of that. However, when I look at what the most successful studio on sitcoms were of the following years, there was Miranda, yeah, which did all right, which was the big, silly show. Yeah. And then Mrs. Brown. Yeah. yeah. And not going out. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly, soon, well, yeah. fairly soon after. In fact, was that going out? Um, not going out had already started, uh, right. although I was not, uh, I was not on it yet. Right. But it was around. It was, in, and I think, I think, I think you did Miranda slightly before Big Top. I think. Wow. I and, and Mrs. Brown there. was after. Yeah, About, I don't know. Uh, similar time, I think. Very similar. I just yeah, remember having Brown. kind of an eye on Miranda when it went out, thinking, "Oh, this is a big, this is a big daft show. Let's yeah. see if people like it." And and they did. Yeah. So I, I thought the signs were quite good. <laughs> No, it's well, and and in a way, therefore, let's 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 learn one lesson, which is just to be a bit humble about what we know and what we don't know. And you yes. can do everything right. Um, you know, I my yeah. I, I was very fortunate that my big sitcom, um, problematic sitcom, was on Radio Four, and literally nobody noticed. Uh, so <laughs> I I did a show called The Pits, uh, which was set in the. English National Opera or the British National Opera or whatever. And it's, there's this comedian called John Oliver. I, I, I've never heard of him since. I don't know what he's gone on to do. But yeah, I'm not, I, know, I don't bump into him in London anymore. So <laughs> uh, John Oliver, Lucy Montgomery, uh, Phil Cornwell. Phil Cornwell. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And um, uh, uh, Paul, um, uh, Paula, somebody, uh, Paula Wilcox. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> Radio 4 didn't particularly like it. It wasn't, the audience seemed to like it, but after the series, Radio 4 just said, have you got anything else? Um, right. In the days when they tended to recommission most things, actually, and I, I'd done Think the Unthinkable, which they'd really liked and stuff. Yeah. And so I just thought, oh, and I was genuinely surprised that people didn't think it was, it was what I thought it was. And I thought it was perfectly good, fun, interesting thing. But mm. I don't know, maybe when it came down to it, it, fundamentally wasn't quite about anything i don't know i mean maybe there's that kind of what's this really about and what how why are you writing this now and it may be that there's that personal connection missing i don't know yeah possibly yeah because perry and croft could write heidi high because they were both redcoats do you know what I mean? It's like that was true. I certainly had no lived experience as a, um, <laughs> as a circus performer, <laughs> fire eater. Yeah. Does, I mean, dozens of scripts later. Now, do, is do you have a kind of con? Are you consciously thinking as you're writing um, how how is this script going to be funny for TV and not just funny on the page? Does is, is there anything that you, you do now to to kind of help you in that direction? No, um, no, I just probably don't have the same sort of hubris as it that I previously did. And, and also I, I wouldn't, um, you know, you try things, I suppose, in front of an audience yeah. when, well, as you know, uh, every not going out script before it goes to the uh, rehearsals is, 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 read, is at least read out in front of an audience to see whether they like it and to see what they laugh at and what they don't laugh at. Um, so by the time it goes to the studio, there's... Um, well, you know, as well as yeah. having had 12 series worth of, of, of an indication of what the audience might like, that but you, people but have you, heard that script. But you stick you stick to the process and you respect it because on one level, again, it's just what I, you know, what I'm really hearing again and again is just how unbelievably difficult this job is, even if you know what you're doing. 
So you've mm. already got a show on with Lee Mack, very famous comedian who just he is funny you know what i mean there's a limit mm. to how not funny the show's going to be given that lee mack is in it and you've got a sitcom around it which works we've got super experienced danny peak uh also uh you know working on the scripts and getting them right and all that kind of stuff and even then you don't just film it you check it in front of yes. an audience and then you rewrite it and you still overshoot and you take a bit out and you might have to do a few pickups um, yes, that's yeah, later. yeah. You, you know, you write a, a forty-minute script. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you can clear out the bits that um, people don't like. Yeah. So I think it's the, the lesson I'm learning here is just it is monstrously difficult, and natural talent of which you clearly have a lot because you you literally wrote a script straight out of the thing which won, and then you did another competition ten years later and you won that. It's still not enough, is it? It's like, it's it's so much graft. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's a lot of work, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what else to say in response to that. Speaking but it's, it's that, really hard, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and I think maybe people think that once you're experienced um, and it's your only job and blah, 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 it gets easier. But it, 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 in a way it, it, it really doesn't. You just, you, you now know how much more work it is. I think that's that's what I always say is, one of my advantages over somebody else with much less experience than me, they can write a really funny script and so can I. My advantage is I know it's probably going to take me 80 hours and yeah. they think they can do it in 30. Well, yeah. okay, that more fool them. Um, and they yeah. may be funnier after 30 hours than I am after 30 hours, but I'm going to be funnier than them after 80 hours. I, yeah. I, you know what I mean? If, yeah. if they've stopped at 30. Yeah. <laughs> My my little my little story about that is I've got um, a nephew who's a big fan of uh, not go of not going out of horrible histories which I've worked, written on with Dave, um, uh, and I've always felt I've got some kudos from him for you know from being his cool uncle who writes for horrible histories, and then he said one day he said to my brother his dad he said what does Uncle Daniel do as a job, and my brother was quite puzzled said to him well you know what he does he's he's a writer he writes horrible histories. To which he replied, yeah, but that can't take all day. <laughs> <laughs> and like in one second, I went from being a cool uncle to a figure of, of kind of pity, really. That this yeah. is, that that's what I devoted my life to doing that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. Is, is that it? I yeah. mean, we, we, we all, we, we've all got those wounds as well, because we were saying before we started recording that, that your kids could frankly take or leave horrible histories. Yeah, um, not fans. No. Dave's as well. And... And my my kids would much prefer if I was John Finnamore, because uh, because <laughs> they think cabin pressure is the funniest thing uh, yeah. that's ever been. And I was like, oh right, that's that's I didn't write that one, uh, <laughs> but um, but it's it's just it's always the way, isn't it? It's always the way. They keep us humble. Hope you're enjoying this episode. It's pretty raw, isn't it? Staring failure in the face. Well, coming up in future episodes, we've got an interview with Ashley Farrow, co-creator of Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes, two really, really big, successful shows. And he went straight on to make a show called Bone Kickers, which was panned by critics and only did one series. And we talked to him about that. As you know, we love to talk to our guests about failures as well as successes. Our Patreons will get access to that interview very soon. They've already got access to our interviews with Jimmy Mulville and Fergus Craig and access to our private Facebook page and the extra podcast a month we do on Zoom where you can ask us anything and we will answer. 
Just wanted to let you know that I'm running a webinar on the 26th of April about plotting pilot scripts and you can join that. If you want to know more, best join my mailing list, The Situation Room. Why don't you go to my website, sitcomgeek.blogspot.com and find out more, where you'll also find links to my YouTube channel where I make short, punchy videos about writing sitcom scripts. And Dave will be running an eight-week comedy writing course in May, so to find out more about that, go to davecohen.org.uk. We'll put all those links in the show notes. Okay, back to the interview. generally about the audience sitcom you are you are in uh, good company here you are we're, we're, this is a this is an audience sitcom uh, loving here yeah. and uh, and I, mean, I know you have written loads of other shows um, as well audience sitcom shows um, and um, not not so much at the moment but I mean would you do are you still trying to get audience sitcom made and uh, is it a struggle um I haven't um, I haven't pitched anything for a while because um not going out has been kept going for so long um and also i haven't pitched anything also i haven't got any ideas <laughs> yeah to pitch and you know having been burnt in the past i i don't think i would i think i would have to be pretty damn confident about something or very very passionate and invested in it um or an idea that can only be done in front of an audience you, you have to be fixed on that idea where you just think no 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 it has to be and there yeah. are some ideas that are specifically like that, aren't they? But uh, yeah, I think it has to be, you have to have a real strong conviction for it now. It's not the default by any means, is it? No, no, not so. I mean, having said that, I would love to do it because they're, you know, because they're, they're the best. They're the best shows that there are. I love them as a kid, still do. I just think as a, as a delivery system for just firing joy directly at, yeah. at an audience, there's, there's nothing, maybe pop music. Is, is better but nothing else is as an art form you know yeah um and it's just a shame that only about 17 percent of them are are really really good um yeah. but no i'm gonna as long as people will as i have a chance to keep making them i i will do and i'd, I'd love to i'd love to come up with a, a new idea that i was excited about and hopefully i will uh, one day so let's so we have a quick chat now about code 404 because that's a, the show you're on to now your uh, series three on on sky is that correct that's right series three is in the po uh, post-production at the moment so that'll be on telly sometime later this year for those who haven't seen it and uh that's uh, that's that's your loss because it's it's really funny but uh, sadly it's on sky so not everyone has that but but tell us Tell us uh, the uh, premise for Code 404. Okay, so it's set um, in the near future. It's about two cops uh, in London, one of whom is shot dead before the opening credits of the first episode um, and then is brought back to life by a kind of pioneering uh, police AI scientist. Yeah. So he's back in business. He's partnered back up. Um, with his old partner, who's quite surprised to see him back from the dead. But the problem is that this being um, a comedy show, the AI hasn't worked terribly well. And so he's come back as um, a, quite a glitchy, less effective version of his former self. It's played, the, the two main characters, uh, I pinch myself every time I say this, but the two main characters are played by Stephen Graham and Daniel Mays. Who They're are, so good. They're, in, yeah. they're just incredible actors. I don't know. I, I don't know how we got them anyway. We did, um, and they are obviously they're famous for lots of things, including Line of Duty, and they they kind of 
play it as if it were a new series of Line of Duty. And I think that if you turn the sound down on it, it kind of looks more or less like a Line of Duty type show um, for 80% of it, but with a big dose of Heidi High. So I'm going to mention it again, a big dose of Heidi High thrown in. It's, uh, yeah. Daniel, Daniel Mays has described it as um, like Robocop meets some others do have them. And I, I kind of <laughs> defer to I think that's the best description of it. I've that is heard. a really good way of putting it. Really yeah. good way. I, I was thinking um, an elements of um, like an update of uh, Randall and Hopkirk deceased as well. Yes. Also, you've got the, uh, the, the sort of the love triangle uh, uh, angle to it. Oh, well, well, yeah, that's the other thing as well. Yeah, to mention is that during the year that the Daniel Mays' character was dead, Stephen Graham's character began a relationship with his wife, which becomes embarrassing when he when he returns. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's kind of it's a it's a, a bit sci-fi, but not really. It's kind of a crime yeah. show, but it's it's a sitcom, really. Yeah, it's a long way though, isn't it? From uh, in in uh, in the Flins or um, mm. not going out, uh, Life of Riley. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's it's very far from the, the kind of things that, that, that you've you've written would you say yeah i suppose so like tonally i suppose it is but i do think of it as a sitcom and i write it as a sitcom and, and because it's got this it has a, um, a crime narrative going through the whole series and it's got this relationship stuff going through the whole series so it does have drama arcs i suppose but episode by episode i absolutely write it as if it were as if it were a sitcom and every episode has a sitcom story that's set up and that pays off at the end of the episode and that's never really referred to. Yeah. And the story again. is, yeah, the story is absolutely crucial, isn't it? The, the individual story for the episode and the series arc, as it were, because the story has to matter because the characters need to care. You know, mm. they, they don't think it's funny. This is real life for them. Yes, it's literally life or death. Yeah, yeah. And so therefore you can't just have it go from goofy police procedural scene to another goofy police procedural scene. Um, everything has to have that reason. And it sounds like maybe Lee's done you a bit of a favour there and really kicking you into saying, I, I know you want to get to the bit with the identikit <laughs> stuff. I know yes. you want to get to the interrogation scene. How yeah. are we getting from here to there? Yeah. So I kind of, I guess you kind of, double plot each episode in, in some ways in like once for for drama yeah and once for comedy although the comedy I think takes precedence and any, anything that dramatic that happens any scenes of real emotion or anguish or pain are, are there to serve mm. the comedy yeah um, yeah I think even though it's even though it's played very very straight well, I can highly recommend it. I don't have Sky, but I paid to watch it on iTunes with my own money and was very glad I did. Um, and my wife said, can we... my, own family <laughs> my wife wants to buy the whole series. Um, and so um, I, I think I'm going to give in on that one. So wow. there you well, you go. know, you can subscribe to Now TV for a week for free. Okay. And just watch it before the subscription mm. kicks in. Okay. Well, well I, I tend to forget those things and end up end up paying through the yeah, yeah, So but um but no, I mean I'm just thinking of the of the of the sort of the, the seventy eight pence that will eventually come your way. <laughs> thank uh, you very in, much. In two yeah, and a half you. years time. Uh <laughs> through those those you know, when you're when your agent sends you this sort of thing which has got these kind of runes on it where you just think, What what is this again? And you just think yeah, no. And I'll let you know when that comes through. Thanks, yes, guys. indeed. Yes, that's right. And then you can buy me half a pint. <laughs> Let's wrap up with just one last question then. For for those listening 
to this podcast, many of whom are writing sitcom scripts and would just literally love to have a third of the career that, that you've had so far. And, you know, you're only, you're only halfway through. Um, you could be the Roy Clark of, of, the, of the 2030s, Danny. Oh, boy, can you imagine? Is, we were looking at the list of... Um, Lee and I were looking at the list of the longest-running British sitcoms because, you yeah. know, it's getting up there now. Yeah. And Last of the Summer Wine, I think, is 273 episodes. That's some way off. I all think, written by that same one guy. And I wouldn't yeah. know him if I walked past him in the street. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. We need to. We still need to try and get hold of him because he's he's still he's well, no, still going. Been, I'm I'm working on it. Okay, uh, watch this space. Every every day that passes that I don't get hold of him, it's uh, it's getting a bit harder. But to those writers, um, Danny, do you have anything where you might want to say, you know, maybe you've read one or two scripts, or you get asked to do this sort of thing, and are there, are there any hot tips or bits of advice you give? I think the, the thing I just that we talked about earlier about planning, I, I just think it's all in plotting and planning. I think if you 50% of your time needs to be spent on working out what the story is, or, or rather, that's that's my experience. I, mm. you know, you might just sit down and write it from scratch and it might be fine. But I think that it's jokes, jokes last, I suppose I would say. Right. Yeah. To boil yeah. it down to two words. Yeah. Yes, jokes jokes last as in they last a long time, but you need to get oh, to that as well. Actually, oh, they got yeah. works on two um, levels. Thank you. Yeah, 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 much more profound. That's what you meant, Danny. That's what you. Yeah, meant. that's right. Yeah, yeah, great. I think what what you're basically saying is, you know, um, we 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 do say this a lot, but you you have proved it in practicality. You say, you know, you put in the hours. You just have to keep working at it and keep working at it and it is hard mm. uh it isn't there isn't a sort of magic uh, formula for mm. oh this is it mm. and and i'm glad also that you said that you know i'm glad that my first one wasn't the one that that uh, yeah. that went out and I think I, I, yeah, i'm really pretty convinced do. that i wouldn't be talking to you now if 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 the bunk bed boys had been commissioned for a series what was that very first one the one when what? i was 18 yeah <laughs> It was called, uh, you'll love this, it was called Where There's a Will because it was about a contested will. Oh. But the idea, right, I was 18, right? So the idea was it was it looked like a conventional sitcom and so deliberately was old-fashioned in that respect. But then it was kind of, it all went a bit young ones halfway through and it was very anarchic and things crashed in. And then halfway through, I think the, the broadcast was hijacked by terrorists, you know, who came on. And then they disappeared. And, 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 you know, there were bits where they started to watch the TV and the show went into the TV set. Oh, wow. Things like that. And we watched what they were watching on TV for a bit. So obviously not very good, but I think it had a lot of good jokes in it. Yeah. Strong but, um, it was probably unbearable to well, watch. You won and you got to meet Angus Deaton and that's something. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Armando. Great. Well, thanks very much, Danny. We really appreciate uh, your time. Thanks, Danny. Listen, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And may I say, I, I, I love this show. I listen to it um, a lot. And I think you're doing us a great uh, service. So Aww. thanks. Thanks for, thanks for being one of those resources that wasn't available to me uh, when I was starting out. Yeah. Um, Pleasure. No, really happy to have done it. Oh, thank you. Oh, cheers, Danny. And thanks, thanks very much to you all for listening. And we will speak to you next time. Cheerio. Thank you. Bye.